sermon from him. Um, but before I do, like I normally do, I kind of change things up when I'm up here. I kind of go off script. I'm going to do that again tonight just for a second before I bring up our speaker. I want to honor a couple people in the room. Um, and I think right in this moment, their stomach's dropping because they know who they are. But I didn't know that a few people that have loved this community, served this community, led in this community, and impacted us a lot, that this is their last Sunday. Now they definitely know who they are. So I'm actually, I think they're all sitting together. So I want uh, Michael and Hayden Aselta to come on up, actually come up. Go find her. Someone go find Becca Ferguson, quick. She's gone. She's definitely in the restroom, so we'll let her finish. Come on up, guys. Come on up. Hey, so if you guys didn't know, this is uh, Michael and Hayden Celta, and they have been, how long have you guys been here? Three years. So uh, most of the life of, of our church, they, come on up, Becca. Give it up for Becca. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so they didn't know this was happening. This is totally, uh, like I said, off script. But I just wanted to honor these three. Um, Michael is in the uh, military, and Becca's husband is in the military. And they have, who else is in the, any else military people in the house? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but I just want to take a second and honor. I know we won't be able to do this forever in the life of our church Every time someone moves away, I won't be able to bring you up on stage. So if you're thinking that, I just, I'm sorry. I won't be able to do it for all of us, but I just wanted to place honor on these guys, not only just to honor um, them serving and uh, moving out here and not knowing uh, exactly how long they were going to be here, when they were going to be asked to serve somewhere else, but while you guys have been here, you have made such an impact. They've led, and even if they weren't leading, uh, just the way they live their life, the way they love people, the way they love God uh, has made an impact on our community forever. So I just want you guys to know and hear it from me in front of everyone that although you, uh, the Aseltas are moving to Washington, D.C., uh, and Becca is joining her husband in Fairbanks, Alaska, this is uh, on military uh, assignments. <laughs> we will, just a second. Um, but um, I just want you to know that you guys have an inheritance in Salt Lake City and in this church forever, the way you've loved and the way you've lived. I'm going to pray for them. Somebody come up and join me. If you love these guys, if you know them, real quick, real quick, this was uh, not in our timing of the service. So come on up. Look at this. Here's, here's what was going through my mind. I, I was thinking, if I was about to move to uh, across the country or to Alaska, and leave this community, and this was my last Sunday, and I've been here for years, uh, this would be a, an emotional moment for me, and it would be a scary moment for me. Uh, step, go, about to step into a new place where uh, we don't know who they're going to have to walk with them, to be their community, to be their family. So I just wanted to bring them up and pray for them. Join me as I pray for these guys. Thank you, Jesus. Th thank you, Jesus, for, for Michael and Hayden and for Becca. Lord, thank you for the way they've lived and loved, and pursued you, and, 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 and modeled what it looks like to love you and live for you. Lord, I pray favor over them as they go to Washington, D.C. and Alaska. I pray for financial favor to cover every expense, every unknown. Lord, I pray that you would cover their hearts as they step into uh, unknown territory, uh, and they have to build a new community. Lord, I pray you would bring those marvelous brothers and sisters in Christ to walk with them and to love them. Lord, thank you. Would they, would they never look back at their time uh, in Salt Lake City with anything but joy, anything but pride in the way that they have marked this community? Lord, and I thank you that Washington, D.C. and Fairbanks, Alaska are getting our best. So we send them out in the power of the Holy Spirit and we say, be blessed. Walk with Jesus. Love the adventure and know you always have family here. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Clap it up or something. Okay, so we're in this series, and it's called Jesus Stories. And um, I would love to be the one speaking on tonight's uh, passage 
but I don't think I'd be doing it justice. I don't think I'm the best guy for the job. So instead, you guys are going to get to hear from a dear friend. He's been on staff with us for quite a while. Our college students in the house know him and love him well. Please give it up for Chris Jarrock. Wow. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. My, my, my name, I'm just kidding. That was just the announcement videos. I do not talk like that in real life. Um, so you're not in for a crazy service, but it's an honor to be up here tonight. Uh, I know Cody dearly loves each and every one of you that are here, so it really is an honor. It means a lot to me that I get to share the stage with him. And speaking of honor, it was the last thing I preached on up on this stage on Sunday, so it'd be a big miss if I did not take a second. He's running, uh, but to honor Cody and Kate, our lead pastors, real quick, so he can listen back to this because he, he just took off. Ruined that whole moment there, Cody, but... That's okay, I'll still encourage you anyways, but real quick, I love so much about Cody and Kate. Those that know them already love them because they are so pastoral, they are so gentle and models of grace, but what I love about them isn't any of their strengths, or what I love most about them isn't any of their strengths, but consistently as lead pastors, they are quick to lead from their weaknesses. They're quick if you notice that they're on the front row every time, on their knees, hands raised, trying to encounter God because they know that unless they're encountering God, they don't have much to offer this valley or these people. And so, Cody, when you finally listened back, you ran away, but I was encouraging you. He came back for the round of applause. Let's give it up to Cody and Kay Wason. Awesome. Well, if this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, we are in part four of a series called Jesus Stories, and it's as simple as it sounds. We are in a series in which we talk about stories in the gospel that talk about Jesus and how it can relate to us in our lives. And so when Cody first asked me to preach during this series, I was like, yes, done. I got this in the bag. There are so many uh, stories in the gospel that draw my heart that I would love the opportunity to preach on. Like there's a the story of the woman caught in adultery or when Jesus feeds the multitude off of crusty old Olive Garden uh, breadsticks and snack packs. There's when he, he cries over the death of his best friend and then raises him in power back to life. There are so many good stories in the gospel that every time I read them to this day, my heart is still struck by them. But the more that I kept praying, I felt like God was telling me not to go those directions, but to go a direction that was completely not where I was planning, and to go a direction that was something I didn't expect. And as I was reading about it, it really is just fitting, because in it, Jesus does something that's so unexpected from what we would think that it seems almost like it's out of character for him. You know those moments, right? I can't be alone. Like those moments when you do something that's so out of the norm of your personality and how you are that people use the phrase like, where's my husband? What did you do with my real husband? Or, hey, um, are you okay? Something's something wrong with you? Like I might be the only one, but I this happens to me quite a bit. Um, Honestly, I would love to sit here and tell you, hey, normally, I'm so gentle, I'm so warm and inviting. If there was that one time that was totally out of character where I said something really harsh or accidentally too direct without thinking, that's my out of character, um, but that's, that's not, um, sadly, that's not it. Instead, out of character for me is almost the exact opposite. I am not known as a super emotional person. Uh, shocking to those that know me. I know, right? But I'm not a super emotional person. It doesn't happen often. Uh, and I remember this time, uh, and it was fitting that we actually had Michael and Hayden on stage because they were a part of it. Back in Waco, my wife, Jules, and I uh, led college students for a number of years while we went to school there. And we had been, these were people that became our, our friends, that became family. They were in our wedding, at our wedding. We loved them dearly. And we had spent years of our lives laying down our lives trying to help these people either meet Jesus or go and grow further in the relationship with Jesus. But as we were getting older, it was time, and we were stepping out and moving here, it was time to pass off those group of college students to people that were more than capable of doing, of taking over from us. And in the sweetest gesture ever, they decided that they were going to gather at our house for a time of worship and encouragement uh, to kind of send us off, similar to what we just did here, which was fitting. Well done, Cody. Plan that well. Uh, and I don't know what happened. All I know is that within the first song of worship, my body betrayed me. Literally, I just started, like, I started crying. And I don't mean, like, the movie, like, the masculine, like, single tear. I mean, like, ugly, like, <laughs> like my, my 
throat is making sounds. I have no idea what sounds those are. My shoulders are doing the thing where I'm like, what is going on? Why are you moving? And I am just bawling, like tears running down my face because I had loved these people for so long. It was going to be way harder than I thought just to walk away and say goodbye. And I remember after a while, I have no idea, it was a long time, but I opened my eyes and some of my friends were around me trying to comfort me because they realized what I was going through. And then some of the more squirrely younger ones were looking around and were like, what happened? Are you okay? Did you trip? Did you break your ankle? Because it's just that abnormal for me to show that level of emotions. In fact, there are people in this room, like Michael and Hayden, that were there all those years ago that are here tonight, and they've probably seen in a decade of friendship me cry twice. And that was that moment, and then when my wife, Jules, walked down the aisle on our wedding day. So it's just not something that's normal for me. It was something completely out of character. But that would be weird if you just came here to hear all about my life, right? We're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about Jesus tonight. But just like how crying was something so seemingly out of character for me, there's actually a story in the Gospels where Jesus does something that's so different than how we normally picture him that we think it's out of character. And so I wanted everyone to do me a favor real quick. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and picture Jesus. And if you're not having your eyes closed, you realize I can see you right now, right? So close your eyes for me and just try to picture Jesus. Just see what he looks like. See what he's doing. Now with your eyes closed, if it makes you feel better, raise your hand if you see him, something where his eyes are like fiery steel, his, his neck veins are bulging, his fists are clenching, his, uh, his frown is a, or his smile is a snarl. Does anyone see him like that? Probably not, right? How does that image sit with you? doesn't sit very well with me because it doesn't really seem to line up with the, the smile or the gentle Jesus that we see um, or that we picture or that we see a lot in the gospel. You can open your eyes now. Thank you for those that kept them closed. Everyone else will work on that later. It doesn't really seem to sit with, it almost seems like it's out of character to see an angry Jesus. But as we're about to read here in a few minutes, it's in the Bible. So what do we do with that? And I, I kind of want to say, what if just maybe, rather than it being out of character for Jesus, we just don't fully know the context of what's going on in this passage? What if it, instead of it just being something that we see and we just kind of dismiss as like, oh, that must have been a bad day for Jesus, uh, it's actually there's so much more going on. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Mark 11 for me real quick. But we're not going to just read it right away because there's a few things I want you to know uh, before we start. So tonight, if you, if you read the little subheaders of your Bible, it will tell you that we're talking about fig leaves and flipped tables. And some of you know this passage. You're like, okay, that makes more sense of where Chris is going with angry Jesus. Uh, but a few things I want you to know before we dive in that I think it's pretty important for us to know. I was a religion major at the school that I went to, and I got the chance to take a class specifically on just the Gospel of Mark. And it was one of my favorite classes I ever took. I loved it. And the th a few of the things that I learned there that I didn't know before was that Mark is actually a sneaky, savvy writer. He's very short, he's direct, but he's really, really intentional with the words he uses. It's why it's the shortest gospel of all four of the gospel accounts in the Bible by far. So he doesn't use a whole lot of words and a whole lot of detail. So what he does say, he means 100%. And it's very important for us to pay attention to almost every single word he uses. The second thing is that people that study, who spend their life studying the Gospel of Mark, um, they notice that Mark does something that's kind of ninja-esque. He does something that they like to call a Markin sandwich. And so don't picture like your BLT or wherever your mind's going. Picture more of like your favorite sandwich cookie, which hopefully everyone just pictured double stuff Oreos because that's the correct one. Picture that. So just like an Oreo, what a Markin sandwich is, is that Mark will oftentimes use a story sandwiched around the start and the end of another story. So is everyone tracking so far? There's a story and then a start of another story is in front of it and then that first story ends right after it. So what Mark is doing here is he is saying, pay attention please. Because when this story is told in this manner, I'm letting you know that they are directly important and that they go together and are meant, just like an Oreo, to be digested together. And so before we start, 
Thank you. People love Oreos here. Before we start, uh, I'm just going to prep you on the head of time that this was always meant to be read together. So we're going to, if you have your physical Bibles, that's great. We're going to ignore those little subheaders that conveniently kind of give us the spark notes and tell us what's going on, but oftentimes inconveniently break up passages that were always meant to be read together. And if you don't have it, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. But we are going to read a chunk of scripture real quick, uh, Mark 11, 12 through 21. It says, on the following day when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all of the nations, but instead you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So, fig, flipping tables, fig, right? There's your mark in double stuff. It may not be a good tasting sandwich, but it is one other lesson. What Mark is doing is he's saying, hey, these stories are forever meant to be intertwined, and Jesus always intended them to be. The lesson that we're going to talk about here in a second that we're going to learn from the fig tree is directly continued and present in the people of the temple, and vice versa. We have to look at them together because it's a continuation. It's a Markin sandwich. So let's recap, right? I know it was a long passage, and we have short attention spans. So Jesus is hungry, sees a fig tree, curses said fig tree, yells at some people, flips over a table in the temple, tree's dead. The end. Who's ready for ministry time? (laughs) Right? Like, what? What? This is weird, especially if you know the context going on. So this is towards the end of Mark. Jesus is in just a few days. He's in Jerusalem, and in a few days, he's going to die a horrible death on the cross for every one of them and every one of us. This man is literally, God is on a mission from himself to save all of mankind. He is busy, and he's got a lot of things to do. But before he does any of that in the busiest week of his life, he takes time out to curse a fig tree and flip some tables. What? Like, time out. Time out. Did you know that at least when you have my personality, it's okay to call time out in the Bible when you first read a story, and it's kind of weird? Uh, I am an Enneagram 8. Do I have any Enneagram fans here? Yeah, yeah. So for those of you that don't know, the Enneagram is a Christian personality test that divides the way that you see, you think, uh, and your motives behind how you act into one of nine numbers, and it's actually brilliant and mind-blowing. But it's also one of the most popular things in the Christian world. I feel like there was a stat that came out that said like over 20% of Instagram accounts, currently their content is Enneagram right now. So it's as popular as the WWJD bracelets 20 years ago. Like that's how widespread this thing is. And so for those of you that know, I am an Enneagram 8. Does anyone know what that number is called? Wow, y'all are fans. Challenger. I get the fun label of being a challenger, meaning Everywhere I look and every, how I think is I just naturally, my mind likes to challenge things and be like, wait, hold up. What about this? Or is that the best way to do that? Is that the best way to say that? Well, what do you really mean by this? That's just how my brain works. And so I want to let you in real quick into how an Enneagram 8 as myself may read this passage, or at least the first part. Because sometimes I think we need to call a time out and stop pretending like everything in the Bible makes sense when we first read it. Like, yeah, he cursed a fig tree and... Just keep reading because he's about to get on a cross, and that's the good part. So this is how I read it as an Enneagram 8. Jesus is hungry. That's great. So am I. My stomach is rumbling right now. What am I going to eat after this? Jesus sees a fig tree. Okay, Jesus, well, you do you. Uh, I personally don't know what even a fig tastes like, um, but it's probably not good. So I'm going to go with bananas. Uh, There was no leaves, or there was no figs, just leaves. Like, 
oh, that's a bummer, but maybe this is the time that Jesus is about to do an awesome miracle, and he's going to, like, pull a fig out of behind Peter's ear and be like, voila, I am the son of God. Do you believe me now? But it wasn't the season for figs in the first place. Well, duh, Jesus, there's your problem. It's not even supposed to be the season for figs. Why would you think there would be one? And then Jesus curses the fig tree, which in like modern translation would have some asterisks around it. And you'd be like, whoa, Jesus, you like, even five-year-olds know you can't curse things. Like, and especially, you can't curse like a tree of all things, especially, especially a tree that wasn't even supposed to be bearing fruit at that time. Like, can we just establish this is weird when we first read it? I think it's weird. And I'm a pastor on stage telling you that. Does anyone else think it's weird? Thank you. Um, thank you for your validation. It's weird, right? But I've, I've learned, like, I'm imagining, actually, that this seems so out of character. It seems like he's kind of being childish. It seems like he's almost being temper tantrum-y. Like, you didn't have any fig trees? Pfft. Table? Kick it, right? Like, it seems a little temper tantrum-y. But I know that Jesus isn't childish. And so I'm imagining as I start reading the Bible, the more that I learn about it, I'm thinking in the back of my mind that, like, if this doesn't, if this seems weird at first, it's probably a good indication. Rather than it being weird, I'm just missing information. I just don't fully understand it. And that shouldn't surprise anybody in this room. Does anyone, was anyone alive 2,000 years ago? I wasn't alive. Some of you weren't even alive in the previous century, and that's scary to me as a college pastor. Um, we weren't alive, so there's a lot of differences so that shouldn't surprise us. So I've started training my brain that when I read scripture, when I'm reading the Bible, whether it's for fun or because I'm getting ready to preach on it, to be in the back of my mind thinking, if something seems weird, I must be missing something. So what are we missing? That's what I want to talk about tonight. So there's two things that we need to focus on here. And the, and the first is, why is Jesus upset at a fig tree? And therefore, since it's a Markin sandwich continued, why is he upset at the people in the temple? And then the second is, what is Jesus actually doing? What does he actually mean when he flips over the table versus doing something else? And so we're going to jump in with those in mind, and we're going to go back to the first couple of verses in Mark 11, 12 through 14. And it says, On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing for leaves, but it was, for it was not the season for figs. This to me just seems absurd. Like, it wasn't even the season for figs, so he's going to get angry because he got excited prematurely. Like, he got his seasons mixed up, right? Because, I don't does anyone have a fruit tree in their backyard around their property? Sweet. Jules, look around. This is where we're going, grocery shopping. Um, I have an apple tree. Well, my neighbor has an apple tree that she doesn't keep very well, so it's hanging over into my yard. So all sense of purposes, if anyone wants apples, come find me. But if you want apples, if you want ripe red apples, they don't ripen until the start of early fall. So no matter if we had this crazy season and spring came way early, if I ran out in mid-April to the back of my tree or to the back of my or backyard, there we go, and like looked up and was like, give me an apple. Would I have any right to expect that there would be an apple tree there? Or there would be an apple at the apple tree? No, I wouldn't. However, fig trees aren't like other um, trees. We're going to get into a little botany here. Who thought that would be fun? Uh, fig trees aren't like others. And the fact, so when a fig tree has leaves, it's always tied to having fruit. So if a fig tree has leaves, it would have to have fruit on it if it was a healthy fig tree. Jesus would have passed hundreds of fig trees every day he walked because it was customary that they would let them grow wild along the path so people, travelers, could eat from them. In that morning, anyways, when he was walking from Bethany to Jerusalem, he would have passed more than just this fig tree. But he wouldn't have expected any of them to have fruit on them. Why? Because none of them had leaves. So why was Jesus really mad? Jesus wasn't upset because the, figs, the fig tree didn't have fig leaves on it. It wasn't even expected to. He was upset, though, that it was acting like it did. He was, ex ups he was upset that it was saying, hey, look at me. I have leaves. Come oh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So other words, it was pretending. It was acting. It was putting on a show. 
And some of you already may know where I'm going with this first part. But I can't help but wonder where in our lives are we pretending or putting on a show or hiding behind something to hide the fact that we may not actually have the depth we want other people to think. Where are we putting on a show versus having substance? Where are we saying, hey, look at my leaves instead of my fruit? Where are we trying to cover up barrenness by pretending we're bearing fruit? And I, like, it could just be me, but I'm willing to bet that most of us have done this in our lives. And I think that it can be really subtle and tricky, which is why I wanted to preach on it. But there's a difference between show and substance. You see, show says, hey, the only reason I came to church tonight was because I was afraid that if I missed one more time this summer, my neighbors or my friends or my family members would start talking bad about me and saying that I must be in sin or doing something. Whereas substance says, no, I don't care if it's summertime. I don't care how nice the weather is. I'm going to run, and I'm excited to get to church because I'm going to encounter Jesus with friends and family. Show says we show up to Sunday dressed in our Sunday best best because we can't, we like want to look nice for God, right? Or do we just want to impress the person sitting to the left or right of us? We care what they think. Where substance says, hey, I'm going to come as I am because the great I am, God, already knows who I am and loves me still. Show says, hey, you better reapply your makeup before you get out of the car tonight because your husband and you got emotional on that part, so hopefully that's for someone. Apparently I am emotional. Hello. You, your husband and you, though, got in a horrible argument, and you don't want anyone to know. Whereas substance says, no, you go to the first people with lanyards or, or a name tag, and you say, please pray for me. Pray for the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the gentleness, the humility, and the repentance of God to love my spouse well. Show says, hey, Chris, you better do really, really well and work really, really hard on this sermon so that you do well for the people. When really it's just so they like you and they give you encouragement afterward. Whereas substance says, hey God, take the focus off. Will people forget me actually so that they can focus on you? Because it's not my words they need to hear tonight. It's yours. I can't set people free. I can't save anybody. But you can. It's getting personal. Like that was literally, I texted some of my friends that this week saying, well, I have nothing but the heart of God so that there can be substance for our people and not just a show. Can I continue to be vulnerable with y'all? When I first started following Jesus halfway through high school, the church that I was going to was going to a church camp, and I had seen the movie Heavyweights, and I loved the idea of getting launched off a blob, and I loved the idea of everything that has to deal with, like, camp. Problem was in a single parent household, it was very hard for us even sometimes to pay bills, let alone spend hundreds of dollars to go to a recreational church camp. But to my mom's amazing credit, she somehow scrounged up enough money and found enough scholarships so that I could go. And I was so excited. I'm so thankful she did that because my, that was a huge mark in my life to developing who I am following Jesus today. I encountered Jesus. The problem was the moment I got back, I didn't want people, I didn't want the fruit to speak for itself. I wanted to show people. I wanted to show my mom, do a little show and tell of all the ways that I've learned that she could be better. She could do better as a parent and as a follower of Jesus. Yeah, that didn't go very well. As anyone with kids, imagine if your kid ran up to you and said, hey, here's the better ways you can parent me and be more holy. But I didn't want my fruit to speak for myself. I wanted to put on a show so they could see it and they could for sure know. So my mom, I like, when that happened, we got in an argument. And I resorted back like, to my old ways, which was using my words as weapons, and I lashed out at her. And my mom, I still remember this so vividly because it still cuts me. She is tiny, but she's every bit as feisty as me. She roared back immediately after that and said, Chris, I am so glad that we spent all of that money to, for you to go to church camp because clearly it's working. Oh, oh, still hurts even now. I'm not here preaching this message at you, and I know it's easy when someone says, like, hey, stop hiding, stop putting on a show to think that we have it all figured out. I'm not preaching this at you. I'm preaching this down on the floor with you 
Because the truth is, I could actually probably be called Tarzan at this point. Because I'm just the king of the jungle when it comes to hiding behind leaves. It's so easy for me to not even intentionally do it, but just be putting on a show and caring what people think and how I look and how I'm portraying myself. And I don't think I'm alone in this matter. I don't think I'm the only one in here that does that. But as I was creating this sermon, I felt like God gave me a test so we can, he could reveal in our, our areas of life where we may be doing this. So if you're taking notes, um, trick question, we should all be taking notes. If you're taking notes, write this down. If no one sees it, do I still produce it? If no one's there around, do I still act the same way? Do I still follow Jesus the same way? If no one sees me wake up early in the morning, do I still wake up to fight for time before the rest of my day to give to God and spend time with him? Or do I just settle for Caleb on my way to work? If no one sees me or no one's in the car with me, do I still stop, roll down the window, and talk to the homeless person on the street or buy them food? Or do I change as many lanes as possible, as legally possible, and speed on by and pretend like I didn't see them? If no one sees me, if no one would have saw you earlier today, would you have put any money in the offering basket? Or instead, would you have taken a look in and immediately started thinking of all the ways your family could have used that? Do you still follow Jesus the same way? Do you still produce the same things if no one is around to see it? Because if we are only, if, if we don't, if we only do certain things based off what people can see, that's not fruit bearing. That's not producing. That's called performance. And Jesus died, and Jesus didn't make us or design us to live that, that way. And we can see that as we continue to move through the, the mark and sandwich here of this passage because what God is making that point there is going to be immediately applied to the people in the temple. So let's jump in back in in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And as he was teaching them, he was saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all of the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers instead. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the, of the city. So Jesus just makes a big point by this cursing of the fig tree here that it's not about us putting on a show for anyone else. And ironically, he enters the most showy place of all 30 AD, the temple. And at this time, the temple was supposed to be a place of, as he said, all nations, meaning translated to all people of all places. It's supposed to be a place of worship, but instead he enters to what had to look a lot more like the Las Vegas Strip than worship. Because there was animals running wild, there were people left and right saying, hey, do you want to buy my goods? Uh, like, I guess that's the voice I use for street vendors. But, um, hey, do you want to buy my goods? It was chaos for people. And to make it even worse, there's things going on here that go way over our head because we're not super familiar with the temple system. So we're going to go a little Old Testament history lesson for you real quick. You have to remember, Jesus hasn't died at this point yet. Meaning, he hasn't died on a cross for all of our sins so that we can then have a relationship and a friendship with God. He hasn't done that yet. So instead, the Old Testament had a system set up so that when you sin, you could get back into a right relationship with God. And it was through a sin sacrifice, which was usually an animal sacrifice of a specific animal in accordance to whatever specific sin you committed as outlined in the Old Testament. So what was happening is that is the only way that I could get right with God came down to whether I sacrificed correctly the right animal. On top of that, though, there's another thing that the Old Testament dictated. It said that it, the animal sacrifice had to be unblemished, meaning without defect or without spots versus blemished. And let's be real. We know why it says that. The heart behind it was good because I know what I would at least do, and I'm assuming most of us would do, or maybe I'm just the only bad person in here. Uh, but if I had ten goats and I had to sacrifice one of them for something stupid I did, I would give them three-legged Stumpy with a lazy eye. I wouldn't give them my prize goat, whatever goats do. Like, I wouldn't do that. I would give him the leftovers. The problem was that God knew that, and he, he, wants, he wanted it to be something that cost us something. Otherwise, we wouldn't, 
we just repeat it again. And so at this point, though, the system that God had designed had become manipulated over the years because the only people that could say whether something was unblemished or blemished were the priests in charge of the temple. And sensing an economic opportunity and a way to get quick, a quick, rich scheme, they decided that they would just start denying almost every single animal and be like, hey, sorry, this sheep, it's got a spot on it. And they'd be like, no, I just walked 40 minutes or like 40 miles here. It's just dirt. And they're like, sorry, thus say the Lord. It's blemished and it's not good enough. But don't worry, man, we got something just for you in the back. We have a perfect sheep. It is certified spotless. But the problem is you can imagine, look around. There are a lot of people that need to buy it too. So it's going to cost you. And reports are that they were charged 25 times the regular amount that they used to charge people. 25 times. Imagine if your mortgage company or your landlord suddenly said, hey, rent's due in a few days. 2,500% what's normal. I couldn't, I couldn't pay that. And so at this point, they were setting such ridiculously high levels of perfection that you had to meet and then manipulating and price gouging on the other side so that the only people that could afford it regularly were the rich, the wealthy, and the elite. And so Jesus walks in and he sees that this way uh, has been perverted, it has been twisted, and, and it's been something that used to be... Uh, it's been something now that men can govern and control. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to say it's not what you can control. It's how I can give it to you and freely receive for all people, regardless of your status or your wealth or your background. It's not what I'm here for. So what does he do? He flips the table. He flips the table, and he's very specific. When he flips the table, it's very symbolic for anyone that would have been in the temple at the time. By flipping the table that they were all at to sell and maintain and what was blemished or unblemished, what he was doing in those moments is he was saying, hey, the whole system that was founded for, that you have known for your entire life and your generations and generations and generations for thousands of years have done this, of how you can get close to God, I am flipping it upside down in one moment. And you're about to see that in three days when I die. I'm flipping it upside down because it used to be good, but you've manipulated it, and now it's not about who you know. It's not about if you know me or not. It's just about what you can do or how you look or what you earn or what you can pay, and that is not my heart. And so in one moment, he flips the table completely upside down, and he's saying, hey, I know in the past, and it had its purpose, but it's been manipulated and twisted now. In the past, it was all about how can you get close to me? But in one flip of the table, you're about to see it. But now it's all about how I, as God, can get close to you. How I, as God, am about to pay a heavy price so you don't have to pay any price. So he flips the table. And there's some people in here that need to know right now that God is, a, is not just sitting there. Like I know it's easy to be like, God must be mad at me because he cursed the table and he flipped over to, no, he did that, or he cursed the fig tree and flipped it, no, he didn't do that because he's still mad at you, he did that so that he could be close to you, so we could be close to him, and there's some people in this room that need to know that you do not have to buy, perform, or act, or put on a show with your leaves any longer to have a relationship with Jesus, he flipped the table, because God's not a God of barriers, he's a God of breakthrough, and there's breakthrough for us here tonight. No matter what you look like, no matter what you come, and no matter how well you think you do or not in life or what people think of you, there's breakthrough because he flipped the table saying, now it's about what I can do to get close to you. He flipped the table, and it would be silly for us to still live in a show or still live in a hiding. It would almost be like, Ben, can you do me a favor? Can you grab this table for me? Everyone give it up for this man of God, Ben. So strong. Put it, put it right here for me. Thank you. Don't go away. I still need you. I still need you. Hold on one second. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Oh, I'm so good myself. Everything's good. It's hashtag blessed. I'm so thankful. God's just so good. Like, y'all were laughing at me. That seems absurd, right? But this is you. This is us. We all do this. We like to hide behind something. 
right? We like to hide behind something and say, hey, Ben, will you still, will you still know me even though I'm hidden, even though you can only see parts of me because I'm putting on a show? We do this all the time, but God flipped the table. Ben, you have a beard. You're more qualified than me to play Jesus. Can you flip this table upside down? Give it up for Ben. Awesome. Well, I'll need you to move this table in about 30 seconds. I'm making a point, bro. Come on. See what happens when the table is flipped? It can no longer hide because we don't actually have to anymore. Because Jesus doesn't want to know and love and have a relationship with who we pretend to be. He wants to know and love the person that he had in mind when he paid a price and died on the cross. He doesn't want just shadows and leaves and projects where we pretend to be certain ways and have false pretenses. He wants to know the real us. He's a God of breakthrough and a God of relationship. But we, have, we still have one final part of the Mark and Sandwich. That Mark was trying to make a point of. Ben, can you go ahead and move this? Otherwise, I'm going to trip and impale myself, and that would be horrible. And someone better pray for me or take me to the hospital. So we have one more part of the story left. And so picking up, it says in verse 20, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So it makes the purpose that after Jesus curses the tree for putting on a show, then goes sees the most showy people in the most showy location who are supposed to represent and know him, that you just has a little tagline on the end, oh yeah, remember, this tree is withered up all the way to its roots. And what he's doing by that is he's saying that there's a lot of us in this room that when we try to hide and we spend so much energy keeping up false images and false pretenses instead of letting people in, we often feel the same way. We feel lifeless and withered. It's why hiding and constantly trying to keep up these false pretenses is so exhausting. It's exhausting, and I know because I've done it for so large portions of my life. It's exhausting, and that's not what he had for us. But what it's also trying to do is show you by the inverse. It's to show you that the real prize and the real purpose of not being this fig tree that's all show is so that you have life so that you have life with him. And I know I just have to take a quick second because I know that when you hear this, there's tendencies in the room and you're going to say, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be cursed by God. Or I, I'm just tired of this, so I, I want to bear fruit. Actually, I must bear fruit. I, I need to do better. I need to be better. I need to look better and say better. That's just falling right back into the performances that Jesus and therefore Ben just flipped. And that's just absurd. Do you think the apple tree in my backyard is sitting there thinking, I must bear fruit. I must bear fruit. Uh, apple. <laughs> no, but y'all laugh. But why on earth do we pretend like that then? The whole, uh, an apple tree doesn't have to try to bear fruit, does it? It just does because, one, it's rooted, and, two, that's what it's made for. Every one of you are made to be rooted in the ultimate prize, the ultimate purpose, what... What they're trying to say through Mark and what Jesus is trying to say is the purpose of being rooted and not living behind a shadow or putting on a show is so that you can have life with me. I want us to read Psalm 1-3 real quick because it's easy to say but I want us to, or for people to quote, but I want us to read it in the context of what we just talked about. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit, and some translations say every season, and its leaves will not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. When a tree is planted by streams of water, which represent when we're planted with God, and we know God, the prize of that, the intimacy and the friendship, then the automatic result is that we will have fruit in every season, and our leaves will never wither. Everything we do prospers. We are called to be a Psalm 1-3 tree, to be rooted in Jesus, to know him deeply as a friend, not just someone that's distant and far off. The crazy thing is that this isn't the first time the Bible mentions this or uses this kind of almost like illustration of the leaves to talk about how we hide. Does anyone remember what type specifically of leaves are mentioned here? You can say it with confidence. Fig. It's not a trick question. Can anyone else remember a time in the Bible where fig leaves are mentioned? 
in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus is aware of this. And so in the Garden of Eden, you can clap, sure. I haven't even made the point yet, but thank you, Liz. <laughs> Everyone get a Liz house in your life. So in the Garden of Eden, God had, or God had just made Adam and Eve. He had made humanity to know him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to see him, to hear him, to be friends and in a relationship with him in the Garden of Eden. And then for some reason or another, they chose to do the one thing God asked them not to do. They chose to go against God's will, which is a whole other sermon. But I know for sure in this sermon, we all do that in our lives. He chose to go, they chose to go against that. And immediately what happens in Genesis 3, verse 7 and 8. It says, and the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Ever since the beginning, God's heart hasn't changed. It's always been for us to know him, to talk with him, to have a real relationship with him. Notice that God didn't hide from them when they messed up. They hid from him. He went looking for them. But they, just like us, sewed fig leaves together and started pulling back and putting on a show and hiding because they feared being exposed. They feared people seeing that they didn't have it all together like they thought they did or other people could think they did. And just like Adam and Eve, we so often can easily fall into this trap today where we sow these fig leaves and we start covering up and pulling back and hiding saying don't see the real me instead just see the image I want you to see but Jesus knew that and he said I flipped the tables and cursed that tree so you don't have to hide behind it anymore I'm bigger than that I'm bigger and I'm better than that. The reason he cursed a fig tree, the reason he flipped and kicked over tables, and the reason he tied it all the way back to Adam and Eve is to remind us every single day that we are always meant to know Jesus deeply and to stop putting on a show and stop putting on false pretenses and stop hiding so that we could start bearing fruit, so we could start having substance, so that people far away, we wouldn't have to tell them we know Jesus, they could just see it because we're planted like a Psalm 1-3 tree. And so I know some of you in here are going to say, that's good, Chris. It just happened. But what do I do now? I'm tired of hiding. I don't want to do that anymore, but how? How am I supposed to do that? And so there's two things I want you to do as we're wrapping up here. The first is I want you to ask God when you leave here, use that test that I felt like God challenged us with. Ask God, God, is there anywhere in my life that right now I'm only acting a certain way or pretending or producing a certain way if people are around me and it's the right circumstances? God, will you reveal those areas in my life? And then the next thing I want you to do immediately after that so you don't forget is to find someone that you trust, someone that you can be fully exposed in front of, someone that you can say, I trust that you're not going to judge me, but I also know you're not going to coddle me. And that's the important part. But that you will call me up and higher because I want the intimacy with God that I was always meant to have. I just had to do this. This past week, I went running up to my wife, Jules, and she can attest to this. And I was like, I don't know why, but I'm just realizing that something in my life is causing me to always make excuses or deflect blame to something else. And maybe if I'm being honest, it's because I don't want people to think that I don't measure up or that I'm not making the cut or that whatever it is. But it, it doesn't care, even if I'm right or wrong and justifying or getting blamed or not. That's not the point. The point is intimacy with Jesus. And I, and I said some dangerous words to a spouse. Please call me out anytime. <laughs> Anytime. And she's amazing, and she has. Ollie didn't like that. Please call me out any single time because I want to know Jesus. And there's some of you in here who feel that level of desperation of, I want to know Jesus. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. But for some reason or another, in your life, you've never made that decision. You've never surrendered control. So I want to end the sermon how we end every sermon here at Antioch SLC. And that's with the chance that if you feel like, hey, that was me, but I'm tired of this. I'm tired of making it, of going to a church. You could have been going to church for your whole life, but feel like you still have to serve a God who cares more what you look like than what's in your heart. And if that's you, if you're tired or you're exhausted and you're, you're desperate and you don't want to hide behind any, anything anymore, you don't want to put on false pretenses, then I encourage you uh, to let this be the moment you surrender, you finally do it. And we want to make space for that. And I know what you're feeling. Some of you are like, that is scary, Chris. But giving up control always is. 
But when you fall into the grace of God, the love of God, the weightlessness of not having to measure up or not to God, it is the best decision you could ever make. And so if that's you, I want all of us to close our eyes and bow our heads real quick. If that's you, then I want you just to pray after me. And please note, before I say anything else, it has nothing to, I'm not saying a magical formula here. It's everything to do with the heart that you say, not the words. But if that's you and you want to make that decision, please pray after me. Jesus, I'm tired and exhausted. I can't do this on my own anymore, and I'm, I'm tired of pretending like I can. So Jesus, will you come? Those places that I'm scared to give up control or the places where I feel like I have to run and hide, will you, will you meet me there? And will you be my friend? And will you be my Lord? And will you lead me instead? In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone can stand up on their feet with me real quick. We're going to end the service how we end every service as well. And that's what the time for ministry time. And ministry time is where anybody going through anything can have a chance to worship and respond. So some of you in here, if you just prayed that prayer, when our ministry leaders come up in just a second, I want you to run up here because that is the most exciting thing you could ever do. And I know you hear that a lot in church, but it really is. All of heaven is cheering you on, and we want to join the party with you. So if that's you, come and tell someone so we can celebrate. Or maybe something I said stirred something in your heart. And maybe you're like, man, I've always viewed God as someone that was distant or I couldn't measure up to, or that he was a God of barriers and not breakthrough, or, or I'm just, I've been hiding way too long in my life. Then come up to our ministry leaders. Let them pray. If you need to process, process. If you need to repent, repent. If you need someone to pray with you and just put their arm around you and hug you, do that. And then lastly, some of you may not have even heard a single word I said tonight. Because the weight of what is going on in your life, it's a miracle that you made it through the door. And if that's you, if you have some kind of weight, I need you to listen to me real quick. Because we are not a family. And we will never be a family that says, you have so much weight in this room when you come in. Bye. See you next Sunday. That's not who we are. We're a family that fights together. And so we want to put our arm around you and pray and go to war against whatever. And that could be emotionally, it could be physically, in your body. There could be pain. It could be something in your family or your work or your circumstances, whatever it is. This is a time for us to respond. So ministry leaders, could you go ahead and make your way forward? And I know what our tendency is. Our tendency to sit is to sit here and say, if I go up now, this person or someone in this room is going to think blank of me. And it will be really easy to start sowing fig leaves now. Some of you may have already done it as soon as I said ministry time. You start sowing fig leaves so you can pull back and you can hide. But I am so sick and tired of fig leaves robbing me from the intimacy and friendship with God I was always meant to have. Aren't y'all? And so rather than hide or put on a show, what if we're just a people who are marked here at Antioch Salt Lake City by worship and response? So let's be people that worship God and respond to whatever he may be doing in some of our hearts right now.